Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Maranatha. We're glad you're here to worship with us, whether uh, you've been coming for many years or this is your first Sunday. We're glad you're here to worship our King uh, together with us. Uh, We have a few announcements uh, that we want to make you aware of. Uh, The men's ministry is doing quite a bit these days, which is very, very exciting. We have a great team. uh, And I'm going to ask Justin Peterson to come up and share uh, some of the upcoming events for men's ministry. Good morning. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, I'm Justin Peterson. I have the privilege of serving with the men's ministry. Uh, We've got lots coming up. Uh, We uh, we've got a we've had a busy summer. We've had a great summer, Um, and we know you know men. uh, Everyone during the summer we're kind of in and out a lot, so it's hard to be consistent. But every third Saturday we have men's breakfast. Uh, This just been a great way to fellowship, get men together. Um, I want to highlight just a couple things coming up. Two things, two events. We'd love to have you uh, get involved. If, you're, uh, if you haven't really been connected with the men's ministry, this is a great way to get connected uh, and just to, to fellowship with other men because we need each other. You know, we, we go through a lot. Um, we're leading our families. We're leaders in our community, leaders in our church, uh, leaders with our wives. So we need, we need each other. We need uh, that connection. Um, I've got a, a great team uh, helping Andre does uh, men's breakfast every third Saturday. Um, uh, ben Bay has opened up his uh, house. We call it the upper room, the upstairs level of his duplex, and we've been getting together there every Wednesday uh, for Bible study, Wednesday night. Um, so if you're looking for a, a Bible study, you're looking for a place to connect, uh, we get together there. If that time doesn't work for you, we'd love to set up another time where we can get some men together to fellowship and study God's word together. Um, but two, two events I want to highlight. Our canoe trip, we're, we're doing a short little uh, canoe day this Saturday uh, from 1 to 5 p.m. We're going to meet at Shudluck Park. Um, so if you haven't signed up for that, uh, you can sign up right out in the welcome desk right out there. Today's the last day to sign up for that. Um, if you miss that, you forget on the way out, and you decide, hey, I can make it work, you can sign up online. Just go to the, the church website. You can sign up online uh, for that. So... We're going to meet in Chudluck Park. We've got plenty of canoes, plenty of paddles, and um, life jackets. So if you're in need of one, uh, don't worry about that. Just sign yourself up, and we'll take care of the rest. We'll we'll have lots of snacks on the way. So get your lunch at home before we go, and then we'll have plenty of snacks, and we'll be back in time for dinner. So uh, that's this Saturday. Uh, And then August 11th and 12th, we've got a camping. Um, We're just going to go camping in Bruce at uh, Freisinger's. we had a great time last, last year at their, their place. It's right on the river. Uh, and we, we have a little uh, uh, campfire, bonfire, and, and some great fellowship. So that's August 11th and 12th. Look for a sign-up on that uh, coming up soon online as well. Uh, if you're not getting my uh, emails and texts, I've been trying to you know get the word out. I know that's been kind of a a struggle is just how to get the word out about everything we're doing because we're doing a lot. So if you're not getting a, a text from me or an email, number one, check your spam. Hopefully it's not in there. But uh, I, you know, I, I try not to send out too much. But I do want to let you know what's going on. So um, if you're not getting those, fill out that yellow sheet in front of you. There's that yellow connect card. If you want to know, hey, what's going on with, with men's events, um, just fill out your, your name, give us your number and your email so that it's updated. Some, sometimes 
in our system, we have maybe your wife's number, so maybe she's getting the text. Or, you know, sometimes it's an old landline number, <laughs> so it's not going to go through. So just to help us as a church be updated on your information, that would be great. If you can fill out that yellow sheet, put it in the uh, box in the back on your way out. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Justin, for uh, leading our men's ministry. We appreciate you and your team very much. Uh, we have just a couple other announcements we want to let you know about. Um, coming up is our annual business meeting, and we ask um, that if members can attend, that they do. Um, that's the 23rd at 1 p.m. Uh, right here in the sanctuary. We'll just be going over um, uh, some elder nominees and hopefully placing them into office, as well as um, thanking uh, some of the current elders that are serving that are um, at the end of their term, uh, and we'll also be voting on um, some bylaw changes with regards to uh, eldership as well. So members, please be there if you can, and also uh, non-members, you are more than welcome to come, um, but only members are allowed to vote on uh, any issues. Uh, today, okay, everyone repeat after me, ready? Today, at four o'clock, we're going to have a party. All right. So today at 4 o'clock right here in our backyard, uh, we're going to be having a party. We do uh, every year. This is our third year, I think, of doing it. We call it Christmas in July. It is a fundraiser opportunity um, to ship uh, an Operation Christmas Child shoebox. costs about $10. And uh, I don't know if you've tried to ship anything recently, but to ship something uh, halfway across the world for $10 is a really sweet deal. Um, so uh, we, there is, um, it's by donation. If you come and you can't give anything, that's fine. Please still come and enjoy some time with us. If you, uh, um, there'll be a cakewalk. My wife made a carrot cake yesterday with buttercream frosting, and it was very good. Um, <laughs> there was some left over for you guys, but um, there'll be a cakewalk. There'll be different activities for kids. Uh, there'll be an ice cream machine going, popcorn going, just a time to fellowship together uh, and to celebrate. Um, we do need some help still yet with setup. So uh, if you want to, um, you can talk to me or Joan, can you kind of give a wave of your hand? Talk to Joan about helping with some setup today. Uh, even if it's maybe right after service or right after our discipleship groups, we just need some tables and chairs set up as well as um, some te- tents set up uh, quickly. Um, Some of you remember last year I had the opportunity, my wife and I had the opportunity to go serve uh, with a church in the country of Albania, and that was a great time of fellowship uh, with a local pastor there, and uh, he is here with us this morning, and I'm going to call Pastor Alton to come up. Uh, They are working on fundraising to uh, be able to purchase the church building they are currently meeting in, so Alton's going to share with us, and then Pastor Cody will come. Well, good morning to you all. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be sharing with you today. Uh, Not a great story of mine, but a great story of God. What God has been doing and is working in almost the other side of the world, in Eastern Europe, in the country of Albania. I was born in Albania. We're uh, we're just north of Greece. You can can picture Greece. And uh, Italy uh, is to our west. So we're just east of Italy across the Adriatic Ocean. A country that Paul himself came and preached uh, 2,000 years ago. He says in Romans 15:19 that he had preached the gospel of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem 
all the way to Illyricum, which is current Albania. And uh, it's uh, now, current days, it's a mostly mus Muslim country. Uh, it's a country with great need for the gospel. My story would have been just like any other story of wasted life without the gospel. I was 11 years old when I became a shepherd. I was a shepherd of the family, kind of like David, not a big uh, farm. It was just about 10 sheep and two cows. And my parents assigned me to go every day and take care of the sheep. And shepherds have no dreams. Shepherds have, basically, you die inside because you're by yourself all the time. I think that's what God did with Moses when Moses uh, was assigned for 40 years to be a shepherd. And uh, I was like that. My life would have been exactly the same story of a lost life, of a wasted life without the gospel of Jesus Christ. But by God's providence, there were some missionaries who just went by my village, my town. They just, for a flimsy moment, they, God led them somehow to come by there, try to share the gospel, failed basically. They left and there was no fruit, but they left the Bible with me. Uh, and my family. And uh, what I did as a shepherd, there was nothing to do in the mountains. I took the Bible with me every day, and uh, I just sit down and read the Bible. And through reading the scripture, after three years, in 1994, is when God shook my world. Towards my progress in, uh, as a uh, teenager, just wanting, hopefully, one day to get married, that's all. That was the only dream. <laughs> God revealed himself to me in the mountains of my country where he put his fear in my heart and I repented and I saw my sin as it is. Reading from the, the, the law, when God revealed to my, uh, Moses in Mount Sinai the Ten Commandments, I read what I had never heard of before, the Second Commandment, you shall not make any engraven images of anything in, in, in heaven, earth, waters underneath, underneath earth, you shall not bow before them because I am God, am a jealous God, will punish you to the third and fourth generation, uh, to those who hate me, but I'll be merciful for a thousand generations to those who love me. It shook me and I started shivering and the fear of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord came upon me and I believe uh, in about a year I made a profession of faith. I was just a dumb shepherd. It's not for no reasons that uh, shepherds are, have a low status, but God, but God, don't you love that word? But God was going to show his mercy for me too. He showed his mercy for the shepherds that were watching the sheep the night Jesus was born uh, for, to be the first people to, be, to receive the good news. And God came and showed his mercy for me as a shepherd to transform my life. He called me out of that life. He called me out of shepherding. And the way he did it is that I, I found myself a believer in, a, in, a, in an area where there was no Christians and I wanted to go to a church, badly go to a church, and I, there was no church in, in the area. So I, I, I thought, well, I got to go to college in order to go to church. And, and I just got, instead, with the Bible, I got my math books, my biology books, my science books, in the mountains with the sheep. I continued to be a shepherd and God through wanting to the desire to join a church, I started becoming a good student So because I wanted to go to college in order to join a church that so was in the college. And when I, 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 by his grace, I made it to the college, and not just to the college. I did my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, and 
And it, you just show how one God orders your life, how even your brain starts to function differently. I did my PhD two years ago, finished my PhD degree in, in, in economics. Uh, and that's, that's not, I don't care about economics. <laughs> what I care is about the gospel. Because that's, that being, brings transformation uh, to, uh, in the lives of people that God has entrusted now me. And this passion to see his glory revealed is what actually put me into uh, mission, Christian ministry. I've been serving God full-time for 21 years, starting with, right after I graduated from college, 2002. I joined the Christian ministry, and I served in the country of Kosovo right after the war. Uh, and it's a war that brought much pain to me because I was uh, gunned down with AK-47s. At that point, I had never shot a gun, but I was shot at uh, because of the war that happened there. But God still put a love in my heart. I went to that country, the country of Kosovo, we, ethnically the same people as us, same language as my language and my people. Uh, and I shared the gospel for many years there. My wife and I, we, we were involved in leadership of the church and grow, helping grow the church. And then we came back to our country 15 years ago, 2008, to plant the current church that Aaron uh, and the team that came to Albania last, our, last year helped us to, to grow. That church is growing. It's, a, it's an established church with leadership, with elders, uh, with, a, with, a, with a great witness by the grace of God in the community. And so we are so thrilled to be witnessing that. But again, without the work of the Holy Spirit, nothing happens. The team that came last year helped disciple the believers that we have, the young believers some of the believers that were discipled actually this last year witnessed to a girl in the workplace, in the workforce, in the marketplace. She, and uh, I won't mention her name uh, because of, I'm not sure if this is, it might reveal there. She, this girl, saw on the computer screen of this girl who was a member of our church, saw Psalm 23 written on her uh, computer screen at work, just the screensaver. And she went to her and asked, what is this? And she said, well, it's, this is from the Bible. And so she opened the Bible on her computer, and she started reading the Bible. And she said, can I come to church with you? And she started, this February, she started coming to church from a Muslim background. If you know anything, in a Muslim culture, over 50%, 60%, close to 60% report that they convert to becoming, they became a Christians because of a dream or a vision. Because they are so steeped in anti-Christ, so steeped in denying Jesus' divinity and denying that Jesus is, has died and rose again and denying that God is a triune God and denying that the Bible is the word of God. It's so steeped in that so that uh, uh, she, uh, that's the only way she could, uh, the only way Muslims could come to Christ basically is through uh, a, a dream, a vision. And so this girl, she had this dream uh, in May. Uh, in actually end of April, she had this dream where she was in this town, weird town, she had not been, and uh, she was walking down this town with weird buildings, she saw some people sitting at the banquet and at the table eating, and so she was invited to sit with them, she went and, and try, uh, wanted to sit with them, and she saw, as she was, she says, as she was sitting, she was looking around the chair, as if the chair was not, was going to drop her and is going to fall. And uh, somebody from the table told her, 
don't worry, the chair you're sitting on is firm and won't drop you. She woke up from the dream, weeping and crying. Because in her mind, she immediately uh, translated this, that the city she was, had been in, it was heaven, and that the people were angels, the people in the banquet were, was angels or some sorts, and that the message was, the church you're going to, the message you're hearing in the church, is actually from the Lord and won't, won't disappoint you, won't let you lose in hell. And she immediately confessed Christ and believed in Christ. It's just the end of April. And, and she immediately wanted to be baptized as a witness of her faith in Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, she is growing in her faith. So this is how God is still continues to work and is using our church to, as a witness. There's so many stories I could tell. My time is limited. But uh, I want you to consider praying for us, partnering with us. Uh, we're trying to finish purchasing this building that the Aaron and uh, Karine and the team stayed there at uh, this, this building. It's a four-story building. It's a hostel as well. So the church is going to help the church become self-sustainable in a, in a place where people hear the gospel. That's Aaron and with some of the guys. Uh, we bought this for 600,000 euros and, uh, or about $660,000. We're down to the last $60,000. So, yes. The seller, a Muslim guy, sold it to us with four payments. And we are, we're due the last payment by September 30th. And, uh, and we just ask you to pray and consider joining us in, in finishing the race. This, this little race, of course... Uh, because the, the big race is ahead of us to, so that our church, our small community, be a witness for his glory. And as Moravian missionaries, I'm going to close with this, Moravian missionaries used to say, as they were going to missions without the hope of coming, coming back, they were just going to missions. This particular missionary, uh, Moravian missionary, they were leaving the port and the ship. They were saying goodbye to their loves, loved ones forever, not coming back ever again. Quoting from Revelation 5, because the lamb is worthy, the lamb that was slain. Jesus was slain for us, and so any sacrifice that we make, it's not even sacrifice. So join with us in prayer. Take a, take a brochure and a, and, a, and a picture of our family and pray for us. God bless you, and I look forward to hopefully grow our partnership together and have you more uh, come to Albania and visit us. Thank you, and God bless you. Well, um, I can say it is a fruitful ministry, and um, as a pastor's kid, I've been on many missions trips, and the one to Albania was by far my favorite, um, getting to share in the word with Alton and his family. So let me pray for you and your ministry. Um, if you are interested in giving, they have a table uh, in the back. There's a way you can uh, do that. Uh, if you want to give cash, there is a basket in the back as well. So let me pray for you, and then Pastor Cody will come to you. Father God, thank you for... Um, Pastor Alton and uh, the ministry there in uh, Albania, I pray for him, that you would give him strength and wisdom. I pray that his time in the United States would be restful uh, and joyous in partnering with uh, many churches to be able to uh, not just support him financially, but to support him with prayer and uh, lift him and his family up. I pray for uh, his family as well, that they would support him.
and they would support each other. I pray for the church there, uh, for the elders, that they would lead the church well, uh, and the church that it would continue to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and that uh, the outreach would continue to be fruitful. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. That's exciting, especially as we are in Philippians. Take your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 2. I love how his story is about someone coming. God called them to just swing by his town. And that's how we know in this great story of Paul and Philippi where he wanted to go somewhere else, but God called him a different path. And he ended up going to Philippi. We are in Philippians chapter 2, excuse me. If you can see on the screen, we are in a three-part series here where we are looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And we're going through this section three times. The first time we look through it, we are looking at the what, the blessings and the need for internal qualities. God has blessed us in many ways. And hopefully you were able to go home and work on Romans chapter 8 and Psalm 103, looking at the many blessings and benefits that we have as God's children. We have many blessings and realities found in our relationship with Christ. Then, last week, we took some time looking at the who, the doctrine and the nature of Christ. Jesus is God, not like God, but fully God and fully man. Very important doctrinal aspect that we believe as Christians. And this is why we worship Him. Those who don't understand that concept truly miss out on the true worship of God. A little side note, that's why I pray for the Jewish people all the time. They don't understand Jesus who He is, so they miss out truly on full worship of God. And lastly today, now we're going to look at the what and the how. Following the attitude of Jesus, the beauty of Christ in His glorification and His humiliation. So kind of a tagline I got here, we must be like Jesus, seeking humility and leaving the glory to God because we are prone to not do that. So before we begin, let's just pray. Father, we do thank you for this day and I thank you for just hearing what you are doing in Albania. We ask you continue to bless that ministry and bless the ministries in that country, in that region, especially now there's so much focus on the war that's happening in Ukraine and all the dangers. And we pray for the different missionary agencies involved in reaching out and caring. We even know that through the Free Church, we have missionary agencies working on that, helping and caring for people. And this morning, we come before you. Honestly, this is a tough passage. It's tough theologically to think through And we did some of that last week. Boy, this is tough to think through practically. Because our hearts are so prone to build our own kingdom. We want the world to benefit us and be about us. 
So Holy Spirit, we ask, do your convicting work in our hearts. So guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so go to verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Again, these are some of the hardest words for us to hear. I mean, it's very simple English there that we got, spelled out for us there. It's very hard for us to hear these words because we are not prone to live this way. And they're not just hard words to hear, they're harder words to live out. Because we are lovers of ourselves. We love to protect our reputation. Many are lovers of our own agendas instead of submission and humility. As Pastor Aaron said last week, submission, that's the word we don't like. There's too much pride in our lives. And rarely do we have grace for others. Conflict is almost always the result of self-seeking displays of power. And that's probably the case here in Philippi. We don't know the issues. We read a little tension in chapter 4. We'll talk about that when we get to chapter 4. We don't know the true issues here, but the church was struggling. So Paul had to address this issue. The church must move together, and we saw this in the same direction. We saw that his prayer for unity, his prayer that we would understand, he's been talking about this for quite some time already in this book. The church must move together forward in the direction as it follows Christ. When everyone follows their own path, guess what happens? Chaos and conflict can happen, and that can be characterized within a church. But when their minds are set to come together in unity and follow the gospel with the same set of goals, the church then can grow and peace and harmony can flow. It's interesting as I've looked through Scripture studying this here, I've found three different aspects, three different passages and three different situations showing disunity in the church. There's more other examples. There's people following into sin. Uh, you look at the book of First and Second Corinthians. It's a lot about Paul trying to straighten the church out there. But when it comes to disunity, it can be caused within the church by these ways. Egos. Some thinking themselves superior and entitled, and they deserve special treatment. James, when we went through the book of James, we saw that was an issue. Don't think of yourself better than others, and people were doing that. Another reason are secondary doctrinal issues that are more important than the gospel. Often we see Paul writing in Timothy and other passages where he says, be careful not to get involved in other things. Keep the gospel number one. Don't let secondary doctrines be more important than the gospel. And honestly, we've seen that in America as we've let the political scheme sometimes rule more than the gospel. And third, we've seen this here in Scripture in the New Testament, separate parties. 
Some choosing Paul over other ones. Some saying Paul is better than Apollos. You know what? No, I choose Apollos. He's greater. So now we've got fractions within the church, people following certain people and certain parties. These can be dangerous in a church. All right, what I'm about to share is hard for me. Just recently, I was with a bunch of pastors. I spend a lot of times with, with older pastors than me, pastors that have been in ministry for like over 30 years because I can pick their mind and get wisdom. I was with some pastors, and here's what they said. One said, it must have been hard, Cody, going through a church split. And I kind of was like, ugh. And I was embarrassed. And in humility, I said, yeah, going through a church split was one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through. And some of the problems we had were because of some of the issues I just mentioned. Yet, I can also say, and here's how I ended it, it was like, yeah, that's hard. But I can say this in humility and grace that we have recently seen our church leadership and staff in greater unity as we are pursuing the gospel and unity and forgiveness and grace. Amen? So even in the midst of that, I thank the Lord. As I mentioned before, we must be soul brothers, like-minded in Christ. And in this book in the church of Philippi, they needed to change certain attitudes towards one another and do certain things. And we must do the same here at Maranatha as we pursue Jesus Christ, the gospel and unity. One thing that has guided me since 1997 in this area is a small sermon by R.A. Torrey. Not many of you know who that is. Maybe Pastor Aaron does because he went to Moody Bridal Institute. I mean Bible Institute. R.A. Torrey was D.L. Moody's second-hand man. Kind of, he did all the operations. He did all the administrative work for him. R.A. Torrey did a lot of stuff in the background. After Moody passed, Ari Tori did a sermon based upon D.L. Moody, which sounds kind of weird. Why would you do that? And the title of it was, Why God Used D.L. Moody. Anybody ever hear of that before? Okay. I'm just going to read part of chapter or section four of a sermon talking about D.L. Moody. And since 1997, I've been reading that sermon every couple times a year, There's many reasons why God used D.L. Moody, but this is a big one. The fourth reason why God continuously throughout so many years used D.L. Moody was because he was a humble man. I think D.L. Moody was the humblest man I ever knew in my life. He loved to quote the words of another. Faith gets the most, love works the most, but humility keeps the most. He himself, i got to be careful I don't say Humidity, I've done that sometimes here. He himself had the humility that keeps everything it gets. He was the most humble man when we bear in mind the great things that he did and the praise that was lavished upon him. Oh, how he loved to put himself in the background, put other men in the foreground. He would often stand on the platform with some of us little fellows seated behind him. He would say, these are better men coming after me. And as he said this, he would point back at his shoulders with his thumb saying, little fellows. I don't know how he could believe it, but he really believed that the others that were coming after him were better than he was. 
He made no pretense to a humility he did not possess. In his heart of hearts, he constantly underestimated himself and overestimated others. He really believed that God would use other men in a larger measure than he had been used. Mr. Mr. Moody loved to keep himself in the background. At his conventions, he would push other men up front, if he could, and have them do all the preaching. The only way we could get him to take part of the program at the convention was to move that we would hear D.L. Moody at the next meeting. He continually put himself out of sight. Oh, how many men have been full of the promise of God. God has used him. Then that man thought he was something. Thought he was the whole thing, and God was compelled to set him aside. I believe more promising workers have gone to the rocks through self-sufficiency and self-esteem more than any other cause. I can look back at my 40 years or more and think of the many men who are now wrecks and derelicts, who at one time the world thought they were going to be something great, but they have disappeared entirely from public view. Why? Because of overestimation of self. Oh, the men and women who have been put aside because they began to think they were somebody. They thought they were it, and therefore God was compelled to put them aside. God used D.L. Moody, I think, more beyond any other man of his day, but it made no difference how much God used him. He was never puffed up. Last paragraph here. Even when pretty much all the ministers in England, Scotland, Ireland, many of the bishops, English bishops were ready to follow Moody wherever he led. Even then, it never turned his head one bit. He would get down on his face before God, knowing he was human, ask God to empty him of all self-sufficiency, and God did. Oh, men and women, especially young men and women, perhaps God is beginning to use you. Very likely, people are saying, what a wonderful gift he has as a Bible teacher. What power he has as a preacher for such a young man. Listen. Get down upon your face before God. I believe here lies one of the most dangerous snares of the devil. Here's a great line. When the devil cannot discourage a man... He often approaches him on another track, which he knows is far worse in its results. He puffs him up by whispering in his ear, you are the leading evangelist of the day. You are the man who will sweep everything before you. You are the D.L. Moody of today. And if you listen to him, he will ruin you. The entire shore of Christian history, workers, is strewn with the wrecks of gallant vessels who were full of the promise a few years ago, but these men became puffed up and were driven on the rocks of the wild winds by their own raging self-esteem. Whoo! I need to read that often. And a lot of that is based upon this passage here. Listen to the NLT, how the NLT translates this. Do not be selfish! Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest of others 
too. Tell you what, this is hard. This is hard for me because God uses me and I want to be like, look. And I need passages like this often. We must choose the path of self-sacrifice, sacrificial service to God and God's approval over the praise of men. No one likes to be second. We want to be first. But the Christian is always second, if not last, right? We're never first. Jesus is always number one. Again, for me to live is not Cody, but Christ. For me to live is Christ. Jesus is number one, and we must be willing to help others in the church to achieve great things for the sake of the gospel. The conflicts that disable the church should be replaced by one of the phrases we have at our church, congregational care. Instead of living for ourselves, we should care for one another, care for others in our congregation. One of the great books that I've read that uh, has impacted my life greatly is called Spiritual Leadership. In fact, it should have been titled Spiritual Servanthood, but no one would have bought it. Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. He says, true greatness, true leadership is found in giving yourself in sacrifice to others. Not causing, not inducing others to serve you. Because we wanted like, hey, help me out. Serve me for my benefit so I can look good. No, 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 no. It's found in giving yourself in service to others. So here's the questions I sat through the last couple weeks thinking about this passage. It says, don't look at your own interests, but look at the interests of others. Life isn't about you, it's about others. So here as a pastor, here as your friend, here as your brother in Christ, here's things I had to think through. Do I know and care for their interests? To care for you, i got to know what is going on in your world. Do I really know the struggles you have? Do I have real concern for others? I encourage you to do this. In front of your yellow sheets, we have yellow sheets here. I encourage you, if you don't want to do yellow sheet, make a phone call. I would love to get more and more prayer requests from you. Many of you, I would say probably 70% 70 of you have my cell phone number in your phone. Text me. Let me know how I can be caring and praying for you. Because I realized through this, I was like, do I really know the deep interests and care and concerns? I want to care, but do I really know their needs? It's easy. Here's a tough one. And I thought of this. It's easy to care for my friend group, but what about the others? All right, let me be really honest with you here. Here's one of the struggles I see within our church. This, I, was, I was made aware of this as a senior pastor a couple years into the ministry here you know i've been here about eight and a half years now and and then this really touched my heart when i had some friends come to church had a friend bring her family into church kids they're you know it was like a big group I'm like oh this is great they're here at church how wonderful and i'll never forget fellowship time where we have all of our donuts and everyone's in there they sat over in that corner and no one talked to them and it broke my heart they're like, yeah, no one really reached out to us. We might try somewhere else. 
It's easy to sit at your own table instead of looking around, but I love it how I see some of you sitting at different tables. Get outside of your friend group and look at others. Look for the ones in need. Don't always be looking out for number one. Instead, have the goal to help those around you. This means when you interact with others, consider them more important. Seek to serve them, care for them, rather than use them for your own ends. A great quote by a bishop, I think, in Africa. How we walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. So in my mind, I was like, I need to figure out how to really care for those who are in my church. But also, that means I get to, get to know their needs, what's going on in their world. We must value others above ourselves. It doesn't mean we look down on ourselves completely and treat ourselves as dirt, but rather we look to those around us. We care for them as we care for our own interests. It's not to hate yourself, but to love and care for others more than yourself. Focus on helping others more than ourselves. So with this, I thought, you know, we could do a great understanding of what is humility, all this stuff. And it, but Paul does that for us. Look at verse 5. This answers the big question, how do we do this? How can this be done? What's the best way to care for one another? It begins with, look at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, and he gives the great hymn of the early church. Jesus is the great model for humility. And Christian humility is the antidote. That should be the antidote to destroy our spirit seeking for your own self this is what we must have how did he do it we must have the attitude and mindset of jesus christ himself who although existing in the form of god who was god humbled himself and became a human indeed a slave that we might gain eternal life through his life his death and resurrection as he lived to bring glory to God. And that's what Paul does in the next couple verses. For Paul to be in Christ, for me to be in Christ, is to live for Christ, to live like Christ. For me to live as Christ, to live like Christ. So Paul chooses to quote one of the earliest hymns that contain both great theology. If you missed last week, please go online. Listen to the great understanding of this beauty of Jesus Christ. Great theology of the incarnation, but also the great teaching of His great service to mankind. His example of humility. So we can then look at that and grow. So let's do this. Let's quickly go through the next couple verses here. Verse 6. Who, being the very nature God, we begin with his state of mind. Okay? We begin with the state of mind of Christ. Jesus, in his preexistent, in his state, fully God. 
fully God, being prior to his incarnation, before, as was mentioned last week, when the Word took on flesh, he was the Word. And we saw last week this critical passage on the deity of Christ means that he was with his Father and the Spirit. They were eternal beings. As such, Jesus was the God of very God. Jesus, member of the Trinity. So here he has this great status of God. He is the top of the top. He is the king of kings. He is the boss of all bosses. And what's his state of mind? Who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something used for his own advantage. The very nature God describes Christ being in his heavenly existence. While equality with God considers the reality of his earthly status. His divine nature continues, but in a different context. It's not that he got rid of his divine nature, as even some in America begin, are beginning to teach. No, it's in a different context, with a different relationship with the reality of truly God surrounding it. Equality with God's the mindset there refers to the temptation to be like, hey, I'm coming to earth as God. You should worship me. I'm the boss. I'm the man. I'm the king of kings. Instead, the temptation to demand the world to recognize him, to fall down around him and worship his greatness, which truly we should have. Christ indeed was God, the very God of God, and knew it, but refused to use that and exploit his own glory and take advantage of it. I wrote down here, we should not use our positions or title for the advantage of our own interest. And that's what Jesus does. Don't use your position for power to trample over people. Don't use your wealth for the benefit of yourself. Take care of others. Jesus has the right mindset. The American way is to grab all the glory, the prestige, and all the goodies for yourself. Jesus shows the correct way by refusing all the glory and humbly comes to us. His state of mind now is shown in a state of being. He made himself nothing. Look at verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus came and did not demand that the world should celebrate his status. He didn't come and demand, like, now I'm here, everyone worship me. Christ, who's the very God of God, for all of eternity, surrendered his glory and made himself nothing. Jesus refused to see human glory and took the form of a servant, of a slave. The word doulos here, I would strongly suggest, would be slave. Leaving the glory up to God for a, for a later time, which we see at the end of the passage here, verse 11. It's the glory is for God. <clears throat> Christ did not just become human. The Greek, in the form of a slave, connotes two things. It was the very divine nature of God there, 
It's one who the incarnation took on flesh, the very nature then of a servant. One of my professors described it like this. It's not like when Jesus came to earth, he just said, all right, I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to leave all my divine. You know, I'm just going to put that all aside. I'm no longer God. I'll just be a human, which cults teach. Instead, he used this example. He said, it's like taking the greatest runner in the world, the greatest of all greater, greatest runners who could run any marathon or whatever race it is, and then doing a three-legged race with someone who cannot run who's either bound to a wheelchair or, or just cannot run or doesn't, how many of you don't like to run? Some of them and some of you. The greatest in a three-legged race, bound, so you still have fully God, but now fully man. Jesus did not just become a servant. As the God-man, he served all humanity as its slave, willing to die. Giving his life, as Mark chapter 10, as a ransom for many. He was not just a servant, but a slave to save. Jesus gave up all the rights in order to die for us. Still, he did not cease being God. Rather, as the divine God-man, he took the form of a servant. And that's what we must be, servants. Just as Jesus refused to take advantage of His glory and power, we must also go completely counter to the rules of our culture and this world and do what most people do, live for themselves. Instead, we must live by the golden rule. Do to others as what? You'd have them do to you. Care for others. So a state of being is now shown in the state of humility. Look at verse 8. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The beauty of Jesus is the truth that Jesus was fully human in appearance, hungered, slept, was tired, and yet still, as the God-man, humbled himself as a slave. He could have brought himself all the glory, but instead he surrendered the honors, humbled himself, it says here, while not giving up his deity, he assumed all that humanity was except for sin and became a servant of the Lord and gave himself as Isaiah 52 and 53 talk about. Talks about he was oppressed and afflicted. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away for the transgression of my people. He was punished. He gave himself willingly so that we would have life. That's the greatest example. Christ humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death. He was poured, He poured out His life, Isaiah says. He poured out His life unto death. It shows the extent of obedience. We'll kind of obey. We'll have delayed obedience or we'll change obedience to the way it fits us. But Jesus obeyed all the way. Gave His life for us. 
Jesus humbled himself and became obedient, willing to die for humanity. I find it interesting, it's one thing to die an honorable death, but Jesus, quite another thing to die a humiliating death, a horrendous death. And this is one of the most cruel and hideous ways, horrendous ways to die in the ancient world was crucifixion. And Jesus did that. The Father and the Son chose the way of the cross so that we would be saved. He placed Himself. Love is never self-seeking, but always seeks to help others. The greatest example of humility is Jesus dying for us. He loved us so much that we would have life. And we must now love others in that way care for others the unity that exist must exist among christians is possible only when we put aside our own agendas and humbly lay down the rights and demands that we have it's interesting i read a lot of books and often i'll read books about service and sacrifice and humility and sometimes i'll even look at what the secular world talks about i can guarantee you this if you want to make an influence in this world, you cannot truly do it without Christ. If you want to understand humility and be a servant, you can do all a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of antidotes the world gives to you about being humble. The only true way to begin is starting with Christ and following His example. We are too often filled with vain conceit and have a desire for our own glory. We are devoted to selfish ambition and willing to split friendships to gain power for our own selves. Don't do it. Have the attitude of Christ. And that's hard. Even though He was Almighty God, Creator of the universe, He made Himself nothing and served and cared. There could be no greater model of humility in the history of the world in Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we can't learn it. There can be no humility until Christ's thought life permeates and guides our every thought. And that's hard. That's hard for me. It's interesting, in my wallet, I've got four different business cards, and soon I'm getting another one. Three of them talk about me being a senior pastor, me being the lead chaplain, me being the president of an organization. It'd be easy for me to go, look at how great I am. It's not the cards that can get me in trouble, right? It's the attitude I can have. It's not your position at your work. Maybe you're the boss. Maybe you're the manager. Maybe you're the king of the household. Maybe you're the leader. It's not the positions that can get you in trouble. It's the attitudes that can get you in trouble when you use it for your own glory. And I must often, as I read that D.L. Moody thing, I get on my face and go, God, help me. Because I want to build my own little kingdom. We all have little kingdoms we like. I want to hang out with only my friends who think the same way I do. And we do the same things together. And we're always hanging out together. I don't look for the interest of others. I need to be broken in those areas. We must follow Christ. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, verse 9, and gave him the name above every other name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God our Father. Amen? So let me do this. If the worship team could come up right now, they're going to be playing a song. It's very important that we do communion right now. Two reasons. Number one, we must often remember the great sacrifice God has given. In fact, as I went through this passage, I've been thinking about this for, for the last couple of weeks. Jesus, when he came, he didn't want that to be celebrated. He sought the humble route, right? Correct? He didn't want all the glory. And I'm like, then why are we celebrating Christmas more than Easter? I'm wrestling through that one. The command he gave us is not to celebrate his birth, which we should. The angels did, right? All of the Old Testament points of the great Messiah coming. I have no problem with celebrating Easter, but we are commanded to celebrate what? His death and resurrection. So today we are going to humbly take communion and be like, woe is me. His life for my life. That's humbling. But this is important. One of the warnings about taking communion is this. If you have something in your heart against another brother, do not take communion. If you don't have humility, if you have pride and arrogance against others, it's dangerous to do this. And after this passage, I think it's important that we humbly go, Lord, check my heart. Lord, check my attitudes. Lord, if there's something there, it's better I pause and get right with you and right with that person if it's possible before I take communion. So it might be possible that only half the people take communion today because you need to work on something. I'd rather have you do that, amen? So we're going to take some time and take communion. The team's going to play the first song. At that time, if you would come up, we've got these little cups here and we'll talk about taking that together afterwards. So let me pray before they do their song. So join me in this prayer. Dear Lord, change our mindsets to reflect the mind of Christ as we struggle with the difficulties in our own hearts. We need a new depth of union in this church with each other as we strengthen and encourage one another with the mindset and the attitude that reflects Jesus. And Lord, when we encounter conflict, even with those in the church that may hurt us, help us love them back. Keep us from any bitterness or arrogance or self-centered mindsets. We must demonstrate the mind of Christ. Help our hearts to do that. Give us a servant heart. Make the focus of caring for others primary compared to my own interests. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. So come on up, get communion. The team's going to sing. Open communion. You don't have to be a member of the church, but you have to be a member of the